Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Good evening, guys. Welcome to another a special episode of the Arizona Wine Monk. If I figure out where I put my microphone, oh yes, there, I put it conveniently in the middle of the room, which would make sense. Um, but clearly I don't remember these things. We are in a year in Sedona, because it's the Sedona thing to do. Uh, in the closest equivalent to Night Vale that exists in the real world. <laughs> uh, we are focusing tonight on Mavedra with a very special surprise. Um of finishing off with Kerner, uh, which is one of, was, and well is, still, one of my favorite grapes. Um, but we're focusing on Movedra, mostly comparing California and Arizona, um, because I was not able, stupidly enough, to get a actual Rhone Movedra to go with it, or Spanish, because um, I don't know why. Because this kind of stuck up on me, and it's like, oh, it's in the future, it's in the future. Oh, it's next week. Oh, it's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I do have as part of a testing of a hypothesis that I have heard, uh, a Mavrud from Bulgaria, uh, because one of the theories about the origins of Mavrud is that it's a clone uh, of Mavedra that was brought to Bulgaria by the Romans. And I thought, well, we can try it. If not, then, you know, oh darn, we've done research. It's terrible. Uh, I'm here with my awesome friends, Robin Black and her husband, Gordon. Uh, Robin is a wine photographer, among many other things. Uh, WineStainLens is her.com. WineStainLens.com is my blog. And she focuses mostly on Lodi. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the Lodi Mouved and the two Kerners. Um, the third is from uh, Alta Ladige, which I'm butchering horribly in terms of pronunciation. Anyway, I've been talking way too much. Let's drink. <laughs> Great idea. I mean, that is why we're here. Uh, so who wants to do the short straw and uh, do the plastic Govino cup? Oh, okay. Um, I've got these, and then also the fancy schmancy um, Les Imbroyables Le Taster. Because apparently, Taster is the same in French and English. So I'm thinking we should start off. Let's start off with Arizona, because that's where we are. Okay. And then we'll go to Lodi, and then once we've talked about those two, we will see if. This, this is actually a Paso. Oh, Paso, sorry. Paso, which is I don't know why I said Lodi. The, the other half of my wine heart lives. Okay, that's right. We were talking about Lodi earlier, and I just went, because we all know brain good for smart making. It's not. So we're starting off with... Uh, Tell us about your wine, Whoa. Ah! I should have held on to that. Oh, dear. And this is why I hate these things. Please hold. Experiencing technical difficulties. You're experiencing technical difficulties with an electric corkscrew. Because, uh... I'm an idiot. Great well, sound effects, 
Well, okay, so I screwed this up horribly. <laughs> and what else is new? Is it salvageable? Oh, that's always salvageable. We just might have to push the cork into the bottle. Because instead of bringing an actual normal corkscrew like I normally do, I was like, oh, let's be fancy. Okay, so try this again. Kids, don't try this at home. Wait, am I doing this wrong? Hmm. Bollocks. Okay, so we're not going to do this one yet. Um, mostly because uh, we're going to try and figure out how this thing works. I only used it like three times. So do I do it that way? So, kids, electric corkscrew openers. Not all they've cracked up to be. Instant review. Not a recommend. <laughs> Not a recommend. I love you, Mom, but this is why I really recommend asking me what I want for my birthday instead of... Oh, oh it has Gordon wine. Gordon slipped out to the car for a wine opener. Yeah, and so... Just well, this is embarrassing. The wine monk can't open his own bottle of wine. Um... <laughs> And we're not even drinking yet. So, anyway. So while we're waiting, tell me about the 33 degrees. So 33 degrees is uh, Tim White's new label. He's the assistant winemaker at Caduceus. Uh, also uh, founder of Iniquious Cellars, um, which actually sources a lot of fruit from Paso. Um, he's one of the f that's one of the few labels in Arizona that still does. Uh, 33 Degrees is his label that's designed to go in the old Masonic Temple in Old Town Cottonwood. And the plan is that uh, that's going to be a winery. So there's going to be a winery in the old Masonic Temple. And 33 Degrees, the idea is kind of like Masonic imagery for everything. Right. Um, I don't know what any of the stuff means because I am not a Mason. Um, it's actually frowned upon in the Orthodox Church to be both a, a church-going folk and a mason, interestingly enough. Um, but anyway, 33 degrees, I guess it's something about the angle of a right of a other triangle or something or other. Uh, at least if I understand correctly, whole mysticism. Um, but it's 100% Mavedra, this particular vintage. Uh, Tim White has also been the winemaker for... Arizona Stronghold now and again. He started off at a cellar in, I want to say, Virginia or North Carolina. I'll have to revisit that podcast. Because I actually did record one with him with one of his first vintages from this label. From that label? Uh, 33 Degrees is one of the labels that's going to be there. The other is going to be called Hidden Hand. Um, and that's going to be focused on sort of a weirder, the weirder stuff. Like he's got like a whole cluster of Tempranillo under that label right now. Um, this bottle is now sold out. Um, at the time there was only, at the time I bought this for you, there were only like, um, 10 cases left. And I'm like, ah, I better get this for you now. I'm so glad that you did. The, yeah. uh, the epic 
creativity, which is 100% more bed, uh, is also not sold out. So we're going to tell everyone about wines that they'll never get to have. That's okay, but the winemakers are good and they're still making them. Oh, yeah. Um, they're still making vintages, um, obviously from this fruit. Uh, Tim White, I know, has done more fruit from Albule. He's also got a beautiful Malvasia in there. Now, I also have a Sangiovese, which is also now gone. Uh, a previous vintage of his Malvasia, which is also now gone. And I almost brought that tonight, too. Uh, and that was when he actually topped all the bottles with wax with his first vintage. He decided not to do that again. Okay. I'm going to attempt... I've never been a fan of that. It's a pain oh, it is. We have a wine over here. Yay, okay. Let's actually do this the right way. I love you, Mom, again, but... Um, ask next time pretty pretty please perhaps part of the problem is that it's so dark in here uh may or may not be influencer see this works much better hooray that's how it's supposed to sound uh, this cork is probably not going to be usable to stick back in the bottle it's a shame because oh, it's, a, we'll have to drink. Oh, it's a beautiful cork Oh, sir, thank you. I'm absolutely in love with how this came to the thumb compression. Yeah, I love that Covino cup. That's the second time I've had that glass has saved the day. Uh, the uh, first time was actually about two weeks ago. I was up on Mingus Mountain, and I had just gotten the pictures for doing my review of the... Vermentino from, um, uh, brain just fried out. It was the Vermentino from, well, Flying Kite was the name of the vineyard, but the label was, um, Anne Roncone's label, uh, Lighting Rich. And so I just gotten all the beautiful pictures and I, I'm like, okay, now I'm going to all situate and sit and drink and take notes. And then this gust of wind just comes and goes, whoosh takes the glass off the side of the mountain. Oh. <laughs> and I hear this crash of glass like a hundred feet below, and I'm just like, well, shit. It's the universe again. Followed by, oh, well, this is why I brought the Govino cup, just in case. <laughs> so anyway, um, in terms of the source for this fruit, this was Albuol Memorial Vineyard, uh, formerly uh, Arizona Stronghold Vineyard. Uh, planted by Albuol, who is one of the pioneers of Arizona wine growing, especially in Wilcox. So this is Wilcox Bench. Uh, the center of the Wilcox, more or less the, the heartland of the... Oh, that's probably the Ghost Tavalina. Uh, this apparently will be the Halloween podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually is probably about when it will be posted. If Actually, no, that's, that's putting it... Uh, optimistically? Optimistically, because I... Right now, I'm running about a three-month lag time between podcasts when I record them and when I post them. There's one that I recorded just before uh, the the strange events happened that it's all very hopeful at the end, and it's like, oh, this is how it's all going down, and then womp. It's a shame, because that was a fun podcast for uh, comparing side-by-side shots of to pop in an Arizona Rum Blend and Arizona oh, 1. Fun. Um, actually, if you could hand me the uh, can. The tin is. The tin with the glass, because this is also going to be, uh, the idea behind this glass is that it helps detect, like, wine faults and that sort of thing, and 
it brings <laughs> out the tertiary notes to the forefront because of the glass design and blah -de blah 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 blah. So it's like a super geeky glass. Anyway, um, getting back ten conversation threads. This is why it's always rambly because ADHD. Ten stuff so shiny. Uh, Albuquerque Memorial Vineyard. Uh, the vintage is 2014, uh, so it's an older Mavedra for Arizona. You don't find a lot of 14s in many tasting rooms off and on. Uh, the few that you can, it's it's great. Um, Source from Albuquerque Memorial Vineyard, uh, which is one of the oldest vineyards in Arizona. I think that was planted almost 30 years ago. Some of the vines are anyway about 30 years old. Uh, so for Arizona old vine, although these probably weren't planted that first year of growing. Uh, I believe it was 50% new French oak. I know that there was some percentage of new French oak, mostly neutral French oak, uh, for this wine. And what's the soil like? Uh, the soil there is a lot of alluvium uh, washed down from the mountains, uh, a little bit of clay and sand, more clay than sand, lots of uh, granite blocks on the soil and granite eroded down from the Chiricahuas and the Dos Cabezas uh, and the other mountains in the Sulphur Spring Valley. And that was kind of the the edge, uh, where this is from, the Wilcox Bench, was the edge of ancient glacial Lake Cochise uh, because it's a valley that doesn't really have an outlet for water that comes in. So back in the Ice Age when it was wetter, all of the rain that fell and the mountains came down in the center and formed this big lake. And now that's the center place of the Wilcox Playa, which is why all the cranes come to winter there. Uh, and why there's the the, uh, the third reason to go to Wilcox, uh, other than Rex Allen wine, is the Sandhill Cranes that winter there and birding. Um, but yeah, it's mostly clay, a little bit of loam, uh, some sand, lots of gravel as well. And it's all kind of jumbled together, and the Wilcox bench is a little bit higher than the rest of the ancient lake bed, and it's like basically ancient, well not ancient ancient, but place to see Lake Beach. Which would be a great name for a band. <laughs> so what are you guys getting on the nose of this? I'm getting a lot of the, the expected sort of tall, dark, and mysterious thing that I love with Morbeds. It's There's a sort of forest floor, just a touch of the the forest floor and, and uh, sort of smoky. My husband is gesturing to me. Spider! There's a spider on the floor. I'm going to move away from the microphone and stand behind Cody because spiders terrify me. And then I'll keep talking about the moon day. Oh, I see it. Cody, you were right when you said this would be the Halloween edition. Yes, we got Rocky spiders, we got ghost Havelina. Uh, actually, one of my favorite poems that I've ever written was about uh, drinking a Mavedra in the Jerome Cemetery uh, on the Day of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess Mavedra is kind of a, a spooky wine for me in general. I've always associated, it's one of two grapes that I associate always with fall. Uh, the other being Nebbiolo. Oh. Interesting. And I, I don't see. know really why. Pleasant meal memories? Pleasant meals, but it's good for like fall comfort food. Both of them like stews and chilies and you know chicken and roasts and all that stuff and 
Thanksgiving meals, but also they both have that sort of spicy undertone, I think, which I guess turns me into the basic white girl. Like, oh my god, pumpkin spice. Um, <laughs> it but, does have a lot of spice in the nose. And it's really interesting because if you smell it in the fancy, in the fancy? Oh. glass, uh, it's bringing out the notes imparted by that oak dramatically, I think. That sort of oh, vanilla yeah. and cedar. Cedar especially. Uh, and then you also get that sort of dusty note that I associate with Wilcox. Oh. It works. That's pretty empty. Yeah, that does, the nose is, is markedly different than it is in my class. So, so the, the idea of the crowd. That's extraordinary. So this is this little Tesvin glass, which I've, I've used in a couple of other podcasts. Uh, memorably, I think the last time I used it in a podcast was the Gewürztraminer podcast, which was uh, Germany, sorry, uh, Alsace versus Arizona versus Rhode Island. Uh, we didn't really Rhode come to Island. a... Yeah. That's, I, no, I think that's great. That's where I was at the time and with who I was with. But anyway, um, that was the last time I think I used this class in a podcast. Um, which is a shame because I need to use it more often. And it's such a fun, weird glass as you've experienced. Yeah. But it's kind of designed to focus on uh, tertiary scents in a wine. Uh, so with, with wine tasting, there's the, the primary notes and then the secondary notes and then the tertiary notes, which are uh, often associated with oak or aging and that sort of thing. Or, or so I've been told. It works. I, was, I didn't think it would. Yeah, it's, it's a fun, geeky little glass. Um, it's also useful if you want to hunt down like wine faults, like uh, you know uh, VA or Brett or whatever. I'm not getting any any faulty notes to to be specific here. I'm not. Uh, and when I tasted this, this really struck me as one of the best uh, examples of Arizona Mavedra. Um, the other example I think of that I would classify as probably the best Arizona Mavedra is the Last Shot uh, from DA Ranch. Uh, although it was under their former label, Stagecoach Vineyards. Um, and that was their Mavedra block, and that was the last harvest of Mavedra they got before they took all those vines out because they were infected with Pierce's disease. And they replaced it with Tempranillo, and next year I think is going to be their next, their first Tempranillo harvest. Um, DA is another one of my favorite vineyards, and I would recommend them highly, but... Like this this is evolving as it opens up. It's that the spice is coming in a lot stronger with a little air in it. The, I was surprised by how much fruit there was yeah. when I when I first tasted it. This has got that perfect combination of fruit, tannins, and spice, which is in a good Mouverdre just something that's absolutely delightful. Yep. Looks like I'm starting a fire in the middle of the floor with how I'm spinning this glass. Airy, baby. Well, well, yeah, it's just a really, really rich, rich Mavedra. Um, and Tim White did a really, really good job with this wine, I think. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys went to any other wineries today. No, not no, after. No, you saw it the only two. Okay. Um, but if you go tomorrow to Merkin before you go, be sure to get a bottle. <laughs> yes. Of course it's Maynard, so 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 of course it's goofy. It's, it's stuff. Maynard label. But uh, oh, oh, it's a there is a Mouvedra rose there from the same vineyard 
uh, Albuol. That is, I think, one of the best rosés uh, in a tasting room right now. And the way it was farmed was really interesting because uh, it literally was farmed to one cluster a shoot. So, like, super concentrated. Like, as concentrated as you can get. Uh, and the way that it was farmed was, like, to concentrate everything. And it's just pale and ghostly, but it's just so vibrant. And it's called the Jane Pink as a counterpoint to the Tarzan Tempranillo. No. My, my route into getting to, to where Mermet has become one of my favorites, I love Bandol style. Yes. Which is... I think a good Morved Rosé, New World, it will often have a lot of the, the Vandal characteristics. Yeah. And, and that's the very first Rosé I ever had that was not someone handing me a glass of white Zin. Uh, it was a Bandol Rosé I had actually pretty late in my wine tasting career uh, when I was living in Boston. Because uh, it was hot, I was there in the summer, I wanted something that I could drink that was, you know, I was tired of drinking beer. Because uh, beer was cheaper, and it's just, I need, I need wine. And so it's like, okay, what's a good summer white? Uh, and I looked up Bandol Rosé and got one from uh, the liquor store in Jamaica Plain and enjoyed it uh, under the ginkgo tree and at Holy Cross, secretly. Well, not secretly, now, whatever. What are they going to do, expel me? <laughs> um, I, for one, would love to be expelled from their records, but that's neither here nor there. Like Buddha under the Bodhi tree. Yeah, exactly. And uh, really enjoyed it. And, and so that was my introduction to rosés, was a bandol rosé of Mavedra. That's a good start. Mm-hmm. And that's a style that's really, really good here in Arizona. And this is just so juicy, too. That high acidity is wonderful. It's the first one I've had from Arizona, so it's, it's growing on me. I don't really have anything else to compare I'm, I'm really impressed by the quality. Yeah. We do good stuff here. Oh, I can test earlier today. I hate to like finish this glass, but I have to eventually. <laughs> so, so what were your your impressions so far today of of Arizona wines? I know you've only visited uh, me and Echo, and then Passion, but. Yep. Surprised at the variety. Yeah, I like the variety. I think, you know, California's got the, the Bordeaux and, yeah. and those. And uh, I'm a Roanhead, so seeing the Roan varieties that I love so much that I think do really, really well on the Central Coast in California. And I think there's a wildness to Roans, I think, mm -hmm. over other great varieties that sort of appeals to rambly me. and brambly yeah, and earthy. There's, there's and just something a little bit untamed. It, it, about it, a good room. You know, Syrahs are kind of funky. And, uh, so I think maybe it's an American West thing. That, that makes sounds sense. about and right. I, I have theories. I'm actually working on a blog piece for God knows when. Uh, you know, one of the big flavor descriptors for runs is, is Garigue herbs. Mm -hmm. from, from the, especially in the Chateau Neuf de region. Now here in Arizona, you know, we get a similar scent, and, and especially our Rhones. And I'm getting it in this. It's sort of a dusty creosote almost. Exactly. Which I Garig is a perfect descriptor for that old world wine, but I would love to see American wine writers pick up our chaparral yeah. herbs for 
for that same descriptor for American runes. I've been using that for a while, yeah. as well as Latakea for Syrahs, which no one else seems to be using, but also as a pipe smoker, I can pick up the, the pipe tobacco nuances. When someone else says pipe tobacco, it's like, oh, which one? <laughs> it's like, oh, and, and there's a definite sort of Latakea sweet spice and an earth note that's in that tobacco that I pick up in a lot of Arizona Syrah. It's and, and some Roan Syrahs. But I don't get it in many Cal uh, California or Washington ones, interestingly. Hmm. And I don't know if it's just because our climate is more like the Rhone and it's a weather thing, or our soils I, I are more say like try, the Rhone. Try more central, try more Paso Rhones. Yeah, I've not had enough of those yet. Oh. You see, oh. it's that really dominant chaparral biome down there that that has, I think, the same kind of influence that, that the Garigarbs in France do. And, and it's this very similar out here in Arizona. Sort yeah, we, of we get a... sagebrush. We, we get a lot of that, or I get a lot of that, especially in Rhones in Arizona. But also, um, in some of the other reds, like Aglionico, I get that too. Um, and Tanat sometimes also. Yeah. The broad-shouldered Tanat. Yeah. I love Tanat. If I was a grape, I would probably be Tanat because it's, it's cantankerous and lovely, but it takes a while to get to know, and it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I am as a personality, is people either love me or they're just like backing away slowly, which is the reaction that most people have with to not is, I don't understand this, this is difficult, no, or it's tough and I, I want to learn it and love it, and then they, they love it. As well they ought. Yes. And that's a, a definite grape for Arizona too, I think. Oh, I should. Open up the the Paso. Paso. So why don't so you... That was, that was 33 degrees? Yes. Right. I'm impressed. I am too. I would buy this one in a heartbeat. Well, I will send you home with the rest of the bottle in a different cork. <laughs> uh, because that one got <laughs> toasted <laughs> because of the... An open container all the way to Los Angeles. Well, no. If you put the cork in all the way, it counts as a closed container. True. At least here in Arizona law. You know, keeping a nice chest out of sight. I mean, you're, you're very clearly not the sort of people that will be pulled over and searched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be frank, yes. To, to be frank and unfortunate. Uh, so why don't you tell me oh, a little bit... Oh, what a satisfying sound. It's much more satisfying than the revving of a hot rod that this thing is. There's also a... I'm not even sure how to even get that piece out. Of course it's... I've never seen one of those used, and to be frank, I thought it was going to be. And now like, I'm uh, glad that I have, so I never tend to. I thought it was one. going to be a lightning quick, like raptor strike, in out and done. Nope. Yeah, there's a piece of cork stuck in there, and I have no idea how to get it out. So anyway. Oh, signature. Oh, wait, what is this? It's dark in here. It's also dark, but I'm also. America, the country of my heart. My second home. Is this a signature by the winemaker? You know, oh, I'm not that's sure that the, uh, You know, that might, that might be. be. That. So the winemaker hangs is Jordan, and I hope I don't mispronounce her, it's Jordan Fiorentina. Um, Look that up. Before. Something else. We must protect the wine at all costs. All costs. Uh, so, so Jordan is their winemaker. They did a pretty intensive search 
from what I understand, when they went looking for a winemaker several years ago, and they they found Jordan, uh, found Jordan Fiorentina up in Sonoma and hired her away to Epic, and she has been a fantastic fit for them. Uh, Epic, the winery, is they just rebuilt and, and greatly expanded a gorgeous tasting room at the top of York Mountain. But mm. this wine comes from the first vineyard that they bought in Paso when they first started as a winery, the Paderewski Vineyard. It's in the Willow Creek District okay. on the west side of Paso. So it gets that great coastal influence from the Santa Lucia Mountains and really rocky, calcareous uh, soil. So there is some calcareousness in, in some of the underlying soils in Wilcox because there's a lot of caliche as well. I forgot to mention that. Speaking of calcareous mm -hmm. soils. Anyway, sorry, continue. And I, I believe that the treatment on this wine was pretty similar to the one that we just had from 33 Degrees. I know there was some French oak. I think it was either neutral or, or maybe year-old or, or minimal in new oak at any rate. So there's a little oak, but it's very restrained. And this will be the first time I've had this wine since I tasted it almost a year ago at the winery. God, so it's going to be interesting to see how it tastes after a year. Super dark. It comes yeah. on big. So much a, darker fruit on the nose than the... <laughs> Arizona. Yeah. This is a little bit more heavy-handed, which is nice. It's it's got a sort of I would say almost like purple fruit cassis almost, and uh, oh. blackberry like brambly boysenberry, like a blackberry boysenberry huckleberry pie. Mm. Almost super dark black fruit, not even purple fruit. Now this reminds me more of uh, the Spanish monastrels that I've had. Same grape, by the way, for those who don't know. Also Mataro. Also known as Mataro. Thank you, I had forgotten about that. Which is Norbed's legal name as far as California agriculture and wine grapes are concerned. Really? Yes. Trivia. <laughs> so that, that trivia is courtesy of Marcus Bokish of Bokish Vineyards in Lodi. He, he does a, a beautiful monastrel, but he explains some of the, briefly, some of the history of the Norbed grape. California. Oh, and another thing, I'm going to plug this, if you haven't read it, American Rome by Patrick Comiskey, who's the wine writer for the LA Times. I have heard good things about that book. It's a wonderful history of, of Rome varietals in the U.S. Does it cover Arizona, though, at all? You know, I would have to, uh, it's been a while since I read it, I would have to go look. Because if not, he needs to update, because <laughs> even Parker has said that we're, we're pretty good on it. Not that his opinion actually matters all the time, depending on who you ask. Uh, my my view on point scales is I think I've told you is uh, it's kind of like the same route as whose line is it anyway where the points are all made up and nothing really matters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean it's great if you get a points high points because it's great for marketing but it's almost like five guys sitting in an ivory tower going mm, yes this wine smells like the tears of tortured small orphan children yes and shuffle oil and Hawaiian sage. It can be it can be career changing, but you're right. There's a, a uh, Saxon got a hundred and changed everything. Well, it was interesting. Uh, my my high point wine story um, is that uh, about six or five five or six months ago, uh, I was drinking with some uh, uh, friends who were a classmate at this uh, at the CSW class I'm I'm doing. Because uh, the goal is to be a CSW and then go through the court of Salisbury. I have a CSW. What, what can you do to sponsor me? 
Oh, you won't? Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> oh, you will? That's great. <laughs> uh, because a CSW, I think, if you know wine people, they tend to take a CSW more seriously than, oh, first level psalm, they give that to everybody who can breathe. Supposedly. This is what I've heard from My people. My greyhound. But anyway. Um, I totally lost the thread about Strawy Thanks, ADHD. I don't know, but let's talk about Morvet, because it's so young. Oh! Um, so anyway. Man, do I love Morvet. It was a Chateau Neuf de Pop uh, from Chateau de Bocastel. And it was like rated by like 98 or 99 points by Robert Parker. And the other wine we were drinking was a Sauvignier, uh, which is, of course, Chenin Blanc and weird. And described as the most cerebral wine in the world. And no. No, 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 no. But here's the weird thing about it. We were able to switch back and forth between the Chateau de Beaucastel and the Sauvignards, and in the end, I liked the Sauvignards more. Because it was weirder, and it made me think more. Rather than, this is a really great Chateau de Pop, but, whoa, what the hell is going on with this? I've never experienced this. This is weird. <laughs> so that's my, my the closest I've come to greatness in terms of point value, I think. What was that wine? And it was just like, oh, this is good, but this other wine that I'm drinking with it is more interesting. It's just Super dark. I'm getting definitely that chaparral character too now. Oh, I should also pass around the fancy glass. Ah. Cedar. Nutmeg. Chaparral. I'm not getting any of the fruit in this glass, which is interesting, but then again, it's not designed to bring out the fruit. Because here it's huge. Oh yeah, it's huge in this glass, too. What is that called? I don't know what the official name for that shape of glass is. It's like the taste bin or... Uh, it's by L'Esprit et Le Vin, L'Esprit et Le Vin.com, and it's like design. It's called the Taster, and it's kind of designed to. Uh, let me let me read the, the side as best as I can in this low light. The Taster has been carefully designed to give the maximum sensory effect in the minimum amount of time, thus enhancing your pleasure when tasting wine. Each glass taster is handmade, loaned by craftsmen, and authenticated by the signature on the base, which is now worn off. Uh, it is suitable for all types of wines and spirits. Sorry, I had to you add You know what I find interesting about this? Hmm. Now that you've told everyone what this is, in the, the taste van, uh, I pick up a lot of the, the purple flower... That I'm not getting just in my... Yeah, it's, I'm getting a lot of those more subtle dry, notes that are... Dried, violet, really, really dried, spare it's, flowers. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of the notes that are kind of overwhelmed by the fruit in yeah. the normal glass. Yeah. And I really should be using that more for my reviews, but I, I don't know why I haven't been lately. I don't know, I'm going to start doing it. It's my... Oh, yeah, well, Orthodox New Year was September, so it's only a year late for... Uh, Resolution. I get things that I should not get at all with this. It's fascinating. Like what? Like vanilla with a Morvet. Well, it makes sense with the oak. With the oak Just, but, and that's it. Really strong. And it's like, 
Mexican vanilla. Yeah, 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 yeah. And dried violets and a little bit of cedar and creosote and like allspice and nutmeg. Now, my favorite pairing for, for Muvedra, for the record, uh, is venison ribs. Oh. Nice. I, I, I would go with game meats for sure. For sure. Uh, story time uh, is I had brought this bottle of Monastrell to a friend's house randomly and had no idea that... And it's like, oh, well, we shot a deer last week and we're cooking the ribs right now. And I was just like, oh, that, that seems like that would be a cromulent pairing that would work. You know, not... Didn't even know it was having then tasted the wine with the ribs that had just come out of the oven. And it was just like, oh, well, hello. You're my new friend. Oh, yeah. Oh. See, and I think that's because of the wildness of, of some of the rum. Yeah, and Muvedra definitely has its its wandering character. I've liked to categorize like different Muvedras and Monastras as like uh, lounge singers or gypsy musicians or 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 like <laughs> opera singers or, or just you know that sort of thing and it to me usually has a very feminine character uh to me out of Rhone's uh Syrah and Mavedra are feminine oh that's so interesting Grenache to me is very masculine and I often like in some Grenaches like beach bums or or beach bums who like Surf in the morning and then teach classes yeah, in the yeah, evening. I've, I've described Grenache as, as they're like the, the quarterback on the football team. They're yeah. Like, you know, big gregarious, everybody loves them. Or, or hates them. That's so interesting oh, because yes, I, I consider Morved more masculine, which may just be I'm attracted to Morved, you're more attracted to we, we see what we want to see in it. Yeah. But I have always felt like since so was the, the yin to, yeah. to Morved. Yeah, it's so definitely, the, to me, since so is masculine. Uh, not that I've had very many since I still haven't had the one from um, McKay. Did you order the McKay? <coughs> or I did you get the one from Fields family? I think it was they're, they're, they're it was one of the, it was like from the oldest vines of okay. since so. Yeah, okay. They both do one from the. I don't remember the label offhand. A sexy, sexy picture of those vines on my Instagram. You will you'll have to when I post the uh, the when I eventually drink that wine, post the picture as a reply. Okay. Um, but anyway, I, I thought about actually cracking open that bottle yesterday. But it's just like, eh, no, I don't want to. I'm tired of sleep. <laughs> Give that wine the attention it deserves. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to half-ass it. To, to quote the, the words of the great American philosopher emeritus Ronald Ulysses Swanson, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. <laughs> no. Good advice. I'm going to try to remember that. I just it's so different, but there's definite characteristics where you can tell that this is the same grape. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's a different climate, different soils, different touch, a different mood. This one seems a little softer to me than the Arizona. What, what vintage And, and I this? don't mean that as, as one is necessary. Oh, they're the same I vintage. Like the, that's, are they both 14? Yeah, that's actually a happy coincidence. That's an empty that worked out that way. Yay. I mean, we planned this entirely. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't check vintages. Serendipity it was like, sellers. you bring a Mervet, I'll bring a Mervet. Yeah. Figure it out. I, I think okay. the Mavrud is a 11. Um, but I could be wrong. But this is fun. But I like, I like Mervet, but... And then Viennier, to me, is also masculine. Whereas yeah, Marceau and Rousseau are feminine. 
even though they are yin to yang to each other, but they're both to me feminine. It's like the perfect happy lesbian couple when they're blended together. Uh, uh, I, I've actually described a, a blend of the two that was 50-50 as like a happy lesbian couple. And, and then people look at me like, what the fuck? A, a sapphic ideal. It's like Ellen DeGeneres and Portia de Rossi. Yeah. Um, and then Grenache Blanc to me is uh, masculine. Peekapool. I have a friend who is totally peekapool. She is bright, sassy, badass. She's the assistant winemaker and distiller at Flying Leap. And um, she's just this... Like, I, and the minute I met her and started talking, I was like, oh, you're a peekable. <laughs> you're totally well, peekable. I, I wish that the, there needs to be more people in the new world. Yes. Whether it's Arizona um, or you need, You should go, if you want to do any tastings tomorrow, you should at least go to Chateau Tumbling because they have a peekable. Okay. They also have a, an Ar the Arnaeus blend. Uh, oh. yeah, like uh, they have a Tempranillo. They have a Graciano that is to die for. Oh, that's interesting. There's there's, there's a load I Graciano that would be fun to sip. Yeah. I, Future podcast. Yes, I am, I'm here. I am down Graciano. for that. Um, I actually have been... Knows, so many people don't know Graciano. I know, and it's, it's so great. Grape. Yeah. Um, it's one of the few grapes where it's like, I taste this and I think purple. It's like, all I think is purple. Yeah. Um, but actually, Chateau Tumbleweed has done one of the best, I think, in the state. And I've actually been building up a collection of Graciano, including I found 100% Graciano from from Yoha. Just randomly, I'm just like, mine! <laughs> uh, but the idea is that we're going to compare, like, Arizona to Rioja to California to wherever else I find one. Eventually, if I can yeah, remind... People, people in Vermentino are my two. They also have a Vermentino. Happy, happy whites this year. I just this is why so good. The only thing that they don't have is a Malvasia. Okay. Because okay. Joe Bouchard, if I remember correctly, he called Malvasia a slut. <laughs> what? I don't know why he did, but he just doesn't like I Malvasia. Think I, because I think, I think there is a subset of wine drinkers who look down on aromatic whites. Because but here's the thing, he loves other aromatic whites like okay. Arnaeus. So, I think it's just that Moldesia is too easy to work with and it doesn't provide much of a challenge or something like that. So, that was why he... he... Again, I'm misremembering because I was about five wines in when we had this conversation <laughs> about Moldesia. And so, I'm probably misremembering. Yeah. But he, the point is that it's easy and everyone's working with it was his whole commentary on it. I would love to, to see more of that variety. Yeah. It's okay. it's definitely going to be Arizona's white grape, oh, I think, in the long run. Just makes such a nice oh. wine. The one we had today was perfect. But uh, you should go to Chateau Tumbleweed tomorrow okay. um, and be like, Cody said I have to try all of these because you have all of them. I don't think that they have a full Mavedra, but they have some really good Rhone blends. Uh, like the Wild Willie Cox and the Willie was the new vintage of the sort of Wild Willie Cox thing. Because now that Willie Cox is an AVA, they can't call it the Wild Willie Cox. Because it's like, we can't approve this as a label. Because we're the TTB and have no sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> Loosen up, it's wine. 
both of them are bad choices. Yeah. yeah you judge well, and I know they're I They're so different. Well. well, the minute I tasted yeah. this, I'm like, okay, this is the best Movedra I think in Arizona that I've. It's definitely the best Movedra in any tasting room in the Verde Valley right now that's accessible. There might be better ones in Wilcox, but I can't get to them easily. Um, but this is definitely, I would say, one of the stellar example um, uh, for Arizona Movedra. And it's just like, wait, Robin's coming. I need to get this for a podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And Jesse and Caduceus, who is a friend of mine, he just like looks at me like, oh, God, what idea did you just have now? <laughs> And so I'm really curious to see uh, if we can figure out if Mavrud is related or not. Hmm. Now, the last bottle I had of this grape was at one of my... So I guess I should back this up and start. So I used to have, with friends, twice a year, what we called the hipster varietal party. Ah. <laughs> the idea is that we would bring wines from grapes that we either were like, oh, I've never heard of this, to, wait, they grow this here? What the hell? Okay, we need to taste this. So we would have weird varietals like Mavrud from whatever, or Romanian wines, or Crescalac from... Um, Hungary? Serbia. Serbia. Um, and then other whites from Serbia and all these weird wines and then you know normal vintages like Sauvignon Blanc but from India <laughs> um, just you know that combination of weird stuff and I'm uh, do I want to try this again do, do we want to experiment yeah. Yeah. okay don't torture the poor wine so the bottle that I bought of uh, Mavrud was a 2006, and God knows how long it was sitting in this Eastern European import store in downtown Phoenix. Oh, come to Los Angeles. <laughs> and so it was definitely corked. And so we're like, oh, okay. So it's like, okay. So now there are some grapes that I just don't have good luck with. Um, like Vernacchia di San Giamani. I've never had a bottle of that that was not corked. And I have tried four different bottles of that to the point where I'm just like, I see one and I just laugh because there's like, <laughs> I'm not going to try this again. That's why everyone should be using screw tops. Yes, I, I, I am kind of with Kent on this. And one of the best winemakers in Arizona, um, well, Kent obviously is one of the best too that I would really recommend. And I always forget about him because he is so quiet and soft-spoken and he doesn't like to trumpet his success, even though he is the one who's gotten the highest point scores in Arizona, by and large, from Parker and is the only Arizona winemaker who's had his wines in the White House. Oh. But he doesn't brag about it. He's the most humble, down-to-earth guy I think I have ever met. Um, and he, that's him on the screensaver, actually, ironically enough. <laughs> he looks like a very thoughtful Yeah, he, he's very quiet and thoughtful. And, I mean, once you, you've hung out with him for a little bit and get to know him, he, he, he's very much a, a punchy, sarcastic, wonderful person uh, who's not afraid to speak his mind, but he's very humble about it, too, which I love about Kent. Um, and I totally lost where the hell I was going with this whole entire train of thought. This wine. Um, and I'm not sure how I went from. You've always had bad Bulgarian. Oh, bad screw tops. Screw yeah. tops. Oh, he screw tops all of his wines. 
And Rob Hamelman, who I was telling you earlier, is another one of, I think, one of the best Arizona winemakers. Uh, he has told he told me uh, that he is going to be moving to all screw tops in the future, um, which is going to be fun and interesting. Again, it's a crime to gulp this down, but I love that though. <laughs> to me, the biggest, one of the most outstanding differences was just the mouthfeel. Oh yeah. And you saw an echo how all of the ones that had the screw tops had lasted mm. better than the ones with corks. So when people say, oh, you can't age a screw top, it's like, mm, yeah, you can. See, There's the ghost Cavalina again. See. So actually, I'm also going to uh, bring over Bible. Sort of. Kind of. It's the closest thing to a Bible I have about grapes. I almost said that I have, and I'm like, no, actually I have like four different versions and editions of the Bible as a former seminarian, so that's that's lying, and that's a sin, Patrick. <laughs> Color is about the same. I guess I should have actually poured myself a tiny bit instead of that much, but whatever. Quite dark. It's the same grape. Well, now smell through this because it smells different than all the others. And where the heck did I put the off? Oh, there we go. This, this is a soldier without a hat. Yeah. It may have to live without one. Oh, yeah. Unless you want to finish off that Moved tonight after I leave. Oh, that's right. The cork was destroyed. I'm sorry. I'll just push that little cork down. It's a happy little cork. Push that happy little cork into the happy little trees. Oh. Sorry. Oh, oh, oh. oh. So, anyway. I'm going to look here in the big giant red book. What a beautiful book that is. I love this book. Uh, M-A-V. M-A-U. I had a Malzapunk the other night. Mavro. No, not Mavro. Mavrude. Hello. That almost sounds like a Highlands whiskey. Single malt. Mavrude? Mavrude, love Oh, yeah. It does sound a little bit like that. Okay. That's a secret. Mavrude. From the Greek Mavro, meaning black, is one of Bulgaria's two best quality indigenous red wine varieties and one of its oldest. It probably comes from Azvenograd in the province of Lodiv, central southern Bulgaria. Yay for being orthodox, that allows you to pronounce weird fucking words. Uh, where it has traditionally been cultivated, Kadarov 2004. This place of origin is supported by significant morphological diversity seen there with at least five different variants. Uh, Mavrud's Edrizarna, large berried Mavrud. Mavrud's Drabnivzarna, small berried. <laughs> Mavrud's Splesnakani Zarna, flat berried, whatever that means. Mavrud's Seif, gray berried. And Mavrud is sleeve with a tendency to color. It was used to breed Bucket, B U K E T. And fuck, how am I going to even pronounce that? 
Evmulpia. Total productive, medium sized, relatively compact bunches, small to medium sized berries. Very late ripening after long vegetative beard. God, that sounds like Mavedra. Sensitive to cold winter temperatures and to drought. Susceptible to downy and powdery mildews, which have good resistance to botrytis. So it doesn't talk about any of the theories of origin, interestingly, which some entries do. Um, there's also, I think, a winery that's not even listed. Domain Boyar. Yeah, it doesn't even mention Domain Boyar as a grower of uh, this grape. So, that's interesting that Jancis Robinson doesn't mention this theory uh, that they're related. I wonder if the entry for Muved does. Possibly on Muved's origins. Maybe. Oh, that's right. It's going to be under Monastrel in this book, if I remember correctly. Because typically this book goes under the oldest attested name. Oh. And that would be Monastrel. And that would be Okay, there's Merlot. He says as he passes the page. Okay, Origins and Parentage of Monastrel. Mentioned by Franchek, Ximenes and Porada, Catalonia. Oh, that explains why it's weird and pronounced and spelled. Uh, uh, Valencia in 1460. It's the oldest one. Derives from the Latin Monastralia, diminutive of monasterio, meaning monastery, suggesting that the, mon the variety was first cultivated and propagated by monks. So I'm wondering if maybe there are the entomology is what's connected rather than. The clone. Because why would this name be attested by the Romans if they brought it to Bulgaria? It would be under a different name. They would have called it something different than Monastrel or Mavedra or Mataro. Because um, etymologically, that theory doesn't work now that I think about it according to this. Um. Mavedra, and of course it doesn't say what Mavedra's etymology is. Which I want to say is connected to like some etymology like the dog choker because it's Titanic. I've heard that. Oh, you know what? I still have data, so let's Google. What is... This comes on exactly like a Mavedra. The nose, the taste, and then it kind of falls away. Would probably help if I spelled Mavedra. No, I don't want to know what kind of wine is Mavedra. I don't <laughs> want to know. Possibly originally from. Come on, really? There's no discussion of the etymology of Mavedra. Well, let's see what Wikipedia says, if anything. History. Likely to be Spanish in origin. So it may well have actually come from the Phoenicians, too, which is interesting to think about. So it may have originally, well, in Spain now, it may have originally come from, like, North Africa or Phoenicia, originally. 
before they put the salt in the soil. Yes. Yeah. Although actually that's a myth because Carthage later became a very important Roman military colony under Julius Caesar. And they had to eat. And uh, also at one point in time, uh, the Roman Emperor Heraclius, when shit was falling down around him, uh, when the Persians were invading left and right in the 600s, thought about moving the capital to Carthage, which was his base of power where he came from. And then the patriarch was like, no, don't do that, don't leave us. And then Heraclius is like, fine, but you got to do this and this and this for me. And the patriarch's like, we'll do anything. And then he's like, okay, now we've got an army and then we're going to fight the Persians. And then they went and then the Arabs wiped them out later because that sucks. Um, synonyms in relationship to other groups. And of course that says nothing about... So I'm. It's a great mysterious grape. It's a mystery. I'm wondering if etymology.com has anything on it. Probably not. That would make too much sense. <laughs> Be the easiest thing. But yeah, it smells a lot like a Mavedra. It does. Except maybe a little bit spicier. Like a little bit sharper on the nose. To me, it comes. Did I? Yes, I did pour some. Possibly on the... to the technique of making it because. It That's comes true. on like it. Here's the fancy glass. It tastes like it, and then everything kind of falls away very quickly. Hmm. Well, it's an older vintage. I think this is 2000 and... Oh. Yeah, it really picks up the spice in that. This, yeah, this is a 2011, so it's three years older than uh, our other Mouvettes. Unfortunately, this is the only bottle I found, and it was Lloyd's Liquors and, and, and Prescott. What's the country of origin on this again? Did Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Awesome. So... Maybe this is the same grape, and maybe the Romans bought it, but I don't know why that etymology would be weird. Because according to the book, um, Mavrud stems from the Greek Mavros, or Mavrod, meaning dark or black. Which, Mavedra is a pretty dark grape, too. That one particularly is. So, and the color is the same on, on these compared to the other Maved, so I don't know. And as far as I'm aware, no genetic... Research has been done uh, between these two, and I don't know why, but well, m the answer is always money, probably. Money, probably, and it's, I think people are just—that's—it's not been that long ago that they started doing DNA testing. See if you think that what you tasted, it, it seems to fall away very quickly. Yeah, the finish is pretty abrupt. Just like, uh, But it's a little bit spicier and more tannic, though, than, than the other Mavets. Yeah, there's some similarity. Sure. But there's definitely similarity, too, but I don't know if that's something because it's a grape that has some of the same varietal characteristics or because they're genetically related <clears throat> or what. Um. <laughs> Starting Kickstarter to DNA test. Potentially Mavet related. Things I would do if I had infinite money, um, other than live on, on top of a mountain and never talk to people, other than online. Uh, or people are always like, oh, you seem so extroverted. No, it's only because I'm around wine. That's a typical INTP thing, is you're around something that you're interested in so you can talk about it, but God forbid if you try to actually talk about anything else, it's just like, oh, hide in a corner and pet the cat at the party. <laughs> or Pennsylvanians who only like sweet wine. 
that's okay. Hey, nice Aspen picture on your leg. That's from, um... The San Francisco Peaks. Okay. There are a couple groves up there. Aspens are the whole reason I'm here tonight. That's right. I, I was going to ask you, what was it like standing in the middle of Pando? Because that is on my bucket list. Yeah, that's what kicked off our trip. We, we just spent a couple of days up in, in the Dallas Divide area in the San Juan Mountains, which is just fall color on acid. But before we got there, on our, on our way from California, we stopped in uh, the Fish Lake National Forest, where the Pando clone lives. And it's the, the oldest known living organism on Earth and probably the second largest. There's a fungal mat in Oregon that's larger than the pandoclon, which pandoclon is, you know, aspens have a common root system. So each stem coming up from that common root system is genetically identical. So it's really, you're standing in a little forest of trees. It's actually one, one creature organism. So the pandoclon is 106 acres, approximately, which tells you why it's one of the largest things on Earth. But it's also the oldest thing on Earth. And it's kind of, you know, it's just if you if you stop and meditate on that for a while while you're standing in the middle of it on a crisp autumn day and the wind's blowing gold leaves around like confetti, it's a pretty nice experience. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I may uh, go tomorrow to the groves of aspens on the peaks. That's the San Francisco peaks. They're the highest point, basically, in Arizona. Um, ancient stratovolcano, so of course lots of fun geology there too. But uh, haven't decided yet which bottle of wine I'm going to take for photography yet. I have a couple of ideas. I think my top idea now, stemming on an earlier conversation we had today, is probably going to be the Del Rio Springs Carmenera, because Carmenera is another grape I associate with fall. And while I'd love to bring a white wine um, to there to kind of match the aspen leaves, um, I'm really feeling like it would be too lightweight. Yeah, I need, unless it's like a Marsan blend. But I don't have any Marsan blends right now mm. in my cellar. Because those are whites with weight and yeah. oomph. Hard to come by. It's one of my Holy Grail wines. Always There's a couple of people that are doing Roussans in Arizona. Actually, uh, Rob Hemlin, who I mentioned before, the Sand Reckoner, he was doing an orange wine made from Roussan oh, that I've heard is good. But he's just releasing it in the tasting room like next week, so of course I don't have a bottle of it. So otherwise, that You'll would have be. Don't let me know how. Orange uh, wines are. I've only tasted a couple, and I've been. They are funky and weird and trippy, and I like them. Yeah, in a great way. I. Uh, I but I know people who are like. The fuck is this shit? I hate it. Um, I've honestly thought that one of the first wines that I would make if I could make wine next year, since I have a little bit of extra cash to kick around, if I wanted to buy grapes, I could. Uh, ideally, it would be either Petit Nansang or um, Riesling and make an orange wine from it. Because I think an orange Petit Nansang would be interesting because that's super high acidity. And if I don't like it, it's like, okay, well, then I put this through malolactic fermentation and see what happens then. Yeah, I'd go for the Riesling. But, uh, Riesling. you know, I guess there's no Riesling not to. Ah! ah. I see what you, you walked into my trap. 
I am here to be your straight man. So which of these three? Yeah, which of these three are your favorite? Oh, that's hard. I'd better revisit one. The Mavrud was interesting, but it wouldn't be my first or second choice. No, it's it's not. It's I can see why people think that this is a clone of Mavedra. And it's good, but it's not my favorite. I'm. I myself may well be showing my Arizona bias here, but I'm really <laughs> thinking uh, the 33 degrees is my favorite. I love, love the the Paso Moved too. But there's something brighter and more cheerful. Almost yes, that's true. About the 33 degrees. It's like happy fall day versus broody fall day. Contemplate, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I'll go with that analogy. My friends are gone. I've been left alone. I'm drinking in the cemetery. <laughs> well, it's the same reason I like the, the band all style. Because I, I, I become instantly antisocial when I start. I just want to go off in a corner with a bottle of band all and think about what it's trying to tell mm. me. For me, I'm a, I'm a sucker for mouthfeel and long finishes, amongst other things. And this is kind of like, I mean business with fruit. Yeah, I'm very serious like about this fruit. I'm not sure which one I'm going to pick. I, they're, I would be happy with either of those. Levels. Yeah. I, that 33 degrees is a, I would, a fine move in. To put this in crude terms, because I can, because I'm single, if both of them went to the bar, I'd probably try and hit on both. Um, and not care which one ended up in, in better relationship with me, because they're both really fascinating, interesting vintages. Um, now, Avrud is a little bit different. To me, it strikes me as a little bit more masculine. For sure. Do you think the difference could come down, despite the two years, uh, to technique of making it? It could well. And I don't know until I until someone literally fought, um, brings me a mavrud from the same vintage as these, which would have been great. But trying to find what you want <laughs> in a grape from Eastern Europe in a small town in Arizona. Give a two thirds of thirteen mavrud. You know, I'm. It blows my difficult. mind a little bit that you said, "Hey, look what I have." Like, how the hell did you so, that? so this is the reason why I like Lloyd's Liquors in, in Prescott is because it's where I never find anything I'm actually looking for. But I find weird shit that I'm like, wait, you have this? Okay, I've got to take it home. Like, oh, do you have a second kingdom of Malta No. Wait, what is this? A rosé chocolina? <laughs> from Greece? No, uh, chocolina is from Basque Country. And, and that would make it weird. I love those Basque. Yeah, I think that they would grow like great in Arizona, but no one's tried it yet. Or, oh, I'm looking for blah, blah, but wait, you have a Lebanese amber wine from Obadiah and Merwa? Okay. Why? How, Why? Did How the <laughs> fuck did you get this in Prescott? <laughs> or... Uh, the other unicorn, it's just like, oh, you, do you have a Crozet Hermitage? No, but I have two balls of Cornaw from two different labels. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Cornaw is like uber hipster round. 
How do you have this and not Crozet Hermitage? And two vintages of Cornell on top of that. Who does he know? It's like, who do you know and can I get to know them? What other weird things might you have? What weird shit can you order? One of Greenland's finest wines. That reminds me of the uh, post I made a while back, and I may have also sent you this map, too, as a joke, of Antarctic wine regions. <laughs> uh, and I found that map on the, one of my favorite Facebook groups, which is Terrible Maps. Oh. Terrible Maps? Terrible Maps. The, my, today, the, the, <laughs> the post was the maximum territorial extent of San Marino. <laughs> And, and, <laughs> and it's just like what? <laughs> well, another one that I posted on Facebook previously was electrical usage in Europe in 1543. <laughs> zero, zero, zero. There they are. There they are. <laughs> okay, we need to go to Kerner. Can I get up? I'm gonna need water soon. I think we have a little. You drank it. We have water in the form of Gatorade. You have oh, good. To, That'll you be have good. to extract all the things out of it. Electrolytes. What plants live? <laughs> the scary thing is how much that has become a documentary oh, in recent years. Oh, well played, sir. Well played. So, since I'm not familiar with Marcus. As a winemaker. Oh. And these are almost the same vintage. So the um, the vintage I have from Alto Adige, uh, Valle Escaro, uh, from northern Italy, uh, is a 2012. And then uh, this is 2013, and then this is... This should be a 16. Oh, that's going to be interesting How to see. can you read that little light? Lots of years of reading and... Everything. I joined. So I guess we should go in order of vintage in the, in the scriptorium. So I'm I'm not familiar with this winemaker, and you were telling me that he's like the only guy in California growing Kerner too. Well, he's not making. growing it, he's or he's not, making it rather. Well, no, there's another. I hope I don't get the labeling wrong. I think it's Sidebar. There's a Napa winemaker who also buys some Kerner from the same vineyard, which is. Owned by the Koth family. It's down in the, if I remember correctly, the McCollum Glen. It probably says on the bottle. Appalachian and Lodi. Everything about his wine uh, is on his bottle. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's Swiss. Marcus he's, gets he's a like lot that. of tech notes in on his labels, which, if you're which thinking about that kind of thing, no, this is are. the other reason oh, why you need to go to Chateau Tumbleweed. <laughs> because the labels, I literally call them reverse mullets. So the front of the label is geeky fun, or, or not like fun, like crazy fun picture like tumbleweed personification of this wine. The back is every single bit of geeky information you could ever want to know short of what yeast was used. Literally, that's the only thing he doesn't put on his labels. Which I love. I do too. Tell me, I, yeah. So that's the other reason you need to go to, to tumbleweed. So Name the dog a, or the person a, who did the push down. Yeah. So this is well, they have a dog named Corvina. <laughs> <laughs> um... So the vintage we're going to start with is the vintage from the closest I could find in the motherland. Okay. I have never seen a German Kerner. 
I have hunted and searched, but so far all I found are ones from the northernmost part of Italy. So like Tyrol in the northeast where yes. speak German? Yes, so this is from the Tyrol. Uh, this bottle was originally supposed to be a wedding bottle uh, because Bess and I had met in 2012 when I was in seminary, and her last name is Karner. Oh. So it's only a letter away from Kerner. So it's like, hey, here's a fun joke, a wine that's here, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then that went south. So it's just like, when I heard that you were drinking, you were going to bring some Kerner, it's like, oh, good, I can drink this bottle, make some new associations with this grape, and share it with people who also love this grape as much as I did. Um, I have found out that there is apparently a couple of wines being tested in Sonoida by Todd Bostock for this varietal. Oh, good. So it may well end up being grown in Arizona. The U.S. needs more Kerner. I agree. I think that Sonoida is one of the two places in Arizona would work. I think it would work better in Chino Valley and Paulden because it is generally colder. Um, but anyway, uh, Kerner is, if I remember correct, oh, hey, I don't even have to trust my memory. Thank you, Jansons Robinson. I know it's part Riesling, and I want to say it's one of the Savals as a hybrid. And hold on, I've got to see, say the see. alphabet in my head. Are the ha Ghost Havelina being active again? Yes, and prepping for Halloween. Oh, that's one of my favorite Turkish grapes. Uh, a Turkish grape? Kalek uh, Karesi. Not that it matters. And I found this page earlier today, and I meant to bookmark it, but clearly I didn't. There are only so many ribbons. There we go. Uh, quantitatively, the most successful monitor in the cross, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Shiova Grossa in Riesling. Uh, and Shiova Grossa is not a hybrid varietal, I think. I think that is a in vinifera varietal. Uh, 1929, named after the 19th century Wurttemberg medical doctor and writer of drinking songs. Oh, that's great. That's very true. Justinus Kerner, who used to recommend that his patients drink a glass of wine as the best natural medicine. I did not remember that. He was clearly good people. Clearly. Here's I, a Florida varietal for you. Oh, thank you. Mmm, yes. <laughs> Bright citrus nose. Cheeky. <laughs> uh, yes, this is a cheeky little vintage. It's what plants crave. <laughs> so, Kerner is apparently uh, Germany's fifth most planted white variety. Uh, only just less popular than Grauburgunder. I love the German names for Burgundian grapes, by the way. I do too. Um, I really hope that one day we have a Gewurztraminer in the tasting room so I can just rattle off yelling the tasting notes in German. Because German is the, the language I know best other than English. Like, this is Gewurztraminer, it's ein grossen Wischen Weissen Wein mit flowers and whatever. Blumen und Stärke und Weisheit und alles was dazu gehört. Ah, der gerne! Körner ist ein Kenner. <laughs> Sorry, that was... Hey, Ed, just 
That's a German joke. Stuff like that is the point, would be just to entertain people in the tasting room. Or chase them away if they, you know, if you pitch Either or. Um, so anyway, um, focusing on this region here. Uh, and they also have JJ in Northern Italy, which is where this is from. Manfred Nursing regularly wins Gambaro Rossa's Top Tribuciere Award for his current, although total plantings in Italy amount to no more than 25 hectares. So somehow, out of 25 hectares, I'm able to find an Italian kerner when all of... Did it run the trebuchet this one that you got? Yes. Wait, is that from Lloyd's too? No, actually. This is from Vino de Sedona. Oh. Um, so somehow out of 3,712 hectares in Germany, I can't find a single royal kerner. But out of, you know, 25. double digits, 25, I can find one from Germany or something. So, I don't understand why this is the case, but... Nah. Uh, England has 9 hectares of it. British Columbia has 13 hectares. Limited plantings in California and South Africa. Oh, it's also grown in Japan. <laughs> so, hold on. Why is... Uh, so, there are 500... It's got to be a misprint. 357 hectares of Kerner in Japan. Why can't I find Japanese Kerner or a German Kerner in Arizona when I can find Italian? I don't fucking know. Anyway. Enough of complaining about why the fuck is this grape so difficult to find and actually cracking it open and tasting. So is this going to be the first... Uh, old world Kerner you've had? But I've had, yes it yes. is. Oh, fantastic. Yes, In that is. case, I should stop I opening my the, big mouth. The, the ones I brought were my, uh, that and another label out of Napa. The, the only well, in that case, I, I will leave this bottle with you, so you can also take it home. Excellent. And if you stop by Lodi on the way back, you can drop it off. and be like, oh, this is open. Marcus is going, I, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, I met him. That's where I got my vines from. And be like, well, why didn't you fucking tell me? We know this guy. He can't get a German Kerner. These are the the <sighs> the vineyard vault. I'll talk about the Marcus while you're getting the German one prepped. The vineyard that this came out of in Lodi, um, the the sort of patriarch of the family that the farms that vineyard, brought all these. He went over to Germany and fell in love with all these German varieties, and brought suitcase cuttings back and planted. This, he's got over 50 different German varieties in his vineyard. Ooh, Some of them, you know, you have a, he's got a lot of Gewurz and a goodly amount of Kerner and a lot of Riesling, but he's got all, he's got Dornfelder and Corral Burgunder, he's got all these Sylvana. great lesser, he's got Sylvaner, he's all these sort of lesser uh, I didn't know that there was anyone growing Sylvaner in Arizona, um, slow clap. I'll have to double check, I may not be right on the Sylvaner. The one Sylvaner I've had uh, was unfortunately corked, which was sad, but it happens. What a uniquely familiar smell. How amazing is that? Abazia di Novacella, and then I love how the other part of the label is like, Sifis Gallery Neuschift! So, from a very German part of Italy, basically. 
So, like I said, this was a bottle that was originally supposed to be a wedding bottle. Um, so I'm happy to share it with people who appreciate Karnak. Thank you for doing this. Um, because otherwise it would just sit there for fucking ever. Which is actually not bad with Kerner. I The very first Kerner I had was actually 2006. Same region, by the way. It was at... Um, oh. Where is that place called? Casimir's World Wine Bar in Scottsdale. And I bought the bottle there. Uh-oh. What's she looking up? No, I'm, I'm looking she up for hopefully things to share about the about this one. Uh, I this is. I think he puts his uh, everything I love about German wines. He puts a lot of his uh, really obscure oddball varietals into blends. Who? Marcus, I think. Which is not a bad thing. We're all Googling about Kerner right now. <laughs> people on the podcast who are wondering why we're so Why are we suddenly silent? I'm about to, to do a soft shoe Google. just to entertain the folks. There's too much crappy bulk sweet racing and gewurz out there. People have I know, such a wrong-headed idea about that. What this now, that being be. said, I have probably had German Kerner before, but it was blended in the Frau milk. Leave how many Oh, which, yeah. You may as well say, yeah, Blue Nun or something. Um, also called Weisse Herald. <laughs> There's some, while we're talking about the obscure German varieties, yeah. uh, out of that same vineyard. Hipster German varietals. Hipster. You know, these are not, Don't these, tell them. these are not hipsters. Although hipster German varietals actually again sounds like a good bad name. <laughs> you know, you got a point there. He's a very serious Swiss gentleman who would ah, not tolerate. Oh wow, we we're starting to curse in German. Oh, he can do that. Because I'm curious how this is going to be in the fancy glass. That's such an interesting thing. Kerner is most commonly planted in the German is the Palatinate, Rhine, Hessen, Mosul, and Wittenberg. It's also grown in Austria, Very much Switzerland, so, yeah. and the Italian province of South Tyrol, which is... Wow, it was only introduced there in the early 1970s and wow. awarded DOC status in 1993. Is this a DOC? Wow. The, no, the, the, the Italian? The Italian one. It would have to. If it's Italian, it would have to be. No, it doesn't say DOC anywhere on it. And it has to be. Crafty Italians. Oh, yep, there it is. DOC. Denomizzazione di Origine Controllata. Okay. Because I'm used to seeing that as an abbreviation rather than, you know, the whole thing written down, which is... Anyway. What a treat to have this bottle, by the way, the, the winner of the, the Gambino Rossa's Trebuchet Award. I went to a trade tasting, because I flash you with this phone screen, <laughs> for, uh, that Gambino Rossa put on uh, earlier this year, and got to go through a flight of all their top top awarded wines, which is, you know, this wine won a similar award. Uh, so these are... These are the really, 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 really good ones, and it certainly tasting this, I think it holds up to their standards. 
Also, I can tell that this article in English Wikipedia was translated from the German. Because uh, the color is described as transparent straw yellow, sometimes with golden reflex. Something indeed was lost in translation. What? I mean, granted, I can't see shit in the dark. Pardon. I it curse more after drinking. This year. But this year is all the dim yurts also uh, sound uh, like uh, another uh, good band another name. Good band name. We've this now degenerated into the Let's Name Bands after uh, all right. part of the podcast. That's the Kerner. I blame the so Kerner. That's a, yeah. The move that's ever wouldn't have done that. Line. Yes. Which is why you and get it taken home. it hurts me that you can pick it up in it's wine shops in Arizona. Yeah. Um, Vino de Sedona, like I said, you should go there tomorrow to pick up that Arizona Malvasia that I was telling you is one of the best. Uh, if you want more bottles of this to age, because that's the thing I discovered about Kerner. When I opened the 2006, I was like, oh, this is going to be like my 2006 Silvana. It's going to be corked and it's going to be ruined. And it's just like, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> But no, there's no cork to go on here. That's going to be really interesting to try. So here is the, um, in the fancy oh, glass, Oh, in the, by the fancy way. glass. See this tertiary aromatics? It's floral, but I feel like it's less floral than some. I mean, I'm getting all the, those characteristic, like, petrol and yeah. rubber hose, the sort of weirdness about those, those German that yeah. family of German whites that's yeah. also well, so great. Well, also remember that this is a Riesling cross, so it makes yeah. perfect sense that it would have those uh, aromatic notes. I'm really enjoying this one. It's very soft compared to others I've had. It's very soft-shouldered and kind of... Um, I but think here's the cool thing about it. It's standing up even after all those reds that we had. Yes, yes it is. I hadn't thought yes, of that. it is. So this is something to keep in mind also while we're drinking these, this white grape after these three reds is that it's holding its own. It's not like, oh, our palate is swamped, we can't taste it. That's, a, that's absolutely correct. Wow. The very best kind of correct. Sorry. Futurama. Oh. Halloween is approaching. Halloween is approaching. Halloween Havelina is another great band name. <laughs> Would be. It would have to be based on the damage they did to the vegetable garden here. And it'd be a punk rock band. Oh, of course. Well, they have that whole bristly <laughs> fur thing, they do, too. They have the but, mohawk so they kind of look punkish to begin with. One thing I take away from almost every wine you put in here is uh, just smelling it, I get a much more intense alcoholic burn. Yeah, because again, that's. It's kind of that characteristic. Okay, we are going to pour right. much less of these other two. Oh, hello. <laughs> friendly, friendly, friendly. Gator. Chateau Gator. Circa 2016. La Gatorade. Gainesville, Florida, Appalachian. Actually, I have had a Florida wine made from um, a red muscadine varietal known as Noble. The noble mustard. It wasn't horrible. You know, we talked about this earlier today. I, as a kid growing up, I was an Air Force pilot, so I grew up everywhere, but a lot of time in the Deep South, and scuppernongs and muscadines yeah. were, were the native grape, you know, the wild grapes. 
in that part of the country. So I ate those as, as a kid. I would be fascinated to taste the wines made from those. Believe it or not, if you go into Total Wine, in most cases, you can find some Scuppernong Wong. It's, and it's fun to say, Scuppernong Wines. The Chinese writer. <laughs> oh, Scuppernong Wongs. Mm, yes. Oh, they live next to the... <laughs> Islington... One of Yunnan's best writers. Interestingly enough, speaking of uh, wines in... China. Apparently Carmenera has become big there, and there it's known under the name Cabernet Gerschnitt. Gerschnitt? Why? That's Fuck if I know. Why? <laughs> Pardon my language. It's Chinese. But does it taste good? I don't know. I was hoping to... I'm going to pour this back Can into the... Correction, I'm going to attempt to pour this back into the... Oh, well done, sir. Actually, that was a very successful attempt. Droplets, yes. Yes, if I actually swallow much more, I'd be able to make it home. Which would be difficult. True. We don't have to open these up. We've started the conversation. We should try at least one of them. Let us at least open the 2013. Let's do that. Because... It's Just so we can talk about in all world versus any world. Exactly, and not only that, uh, it's the closest in terms of vintages. True. That was a 12? Yes. That was really good. Oh, here it is. I was like, where did you I put the corkscrew? I know I have I it. I believe it's a, is that hey, a You may top? not need that. No, that no. one may be a corkscrew. Oh, that's Your new one is the... Uh, is screw top. Before I forget, I should Why take the... <laughs> I almost referred to this as the corkscrew dildo. Well, yeah, you can see where that was, yeah. You should probably throw that over a fence. Now, here's the thing. When I've been in full light, it's worked fine. Oh, right. Placement. I have placement. So, and not, not on a carpet. Not so. a yurt-friendly It is not a yurt-friendly wine opener. I feel like that needs to be something, too. Yurt that could be the first album opener. from the uh, Halloween. Uh, Halloween Havelina? Yeah. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, Kerner is a grape that I think would grow really well, especially um, not only in Sonoida, because it is very cold-hardy. Apparently, uh, it survives negative six degrees Celsius. Wow. In terms of the wood, let me reread that entry here, because I did not read that out loud. I also love that there is a grape... Side note, speaking of weird named grapes, called Coke Pandas. Coke Pandas. From Ukraine. Anyway. And, uh, there are a lot of Catholics in the Ukraine, so there could be winemaking culture. Well, there, the Crimea is actually a major winemaking region in Russia. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's where um, Russian. Russian champagne comes from, which I have had. I've had Russian champagne um, in Moscow. It was the worst. What did you have in Moscow? Sorry, I missed that. Russian champagne from Crimea. See, the one I had was actually really good. I had it on my birthday a couple of years ago. It was a bottle I actually picked up in the Moscow airport while I was there on a six-hour six layover. <laughs> from where? Um, New York, 
to Moscow Airport to Istanbul. Oh, okay. So almost exactly a year ago today is when I picked up that bottle. Things have improved. Anyway, or was it the Wikipedia article? Yeah, I think it was actually the Wikipedia article. Shit. Not uh, Wine Grapes by Francis Robinson. Uh, sorry, it can survive at a temperature of negative 10 Celsius. Wow. My that's bad. Cold hardy. So that's why I think would actually do A, really well in Sonoya, which, though it's Arizona's oldest KVA, is not the best region in Arizona to grow grapes because there is a lot of frost there. The soil is great, but the climate is not the best, in my opinion. Um, but it would also work well, I think, in the Chino Valley Poldenary, which is also, because of its temperature, the only region, I think, in Arizona where you can consistently grow good Pinot. Um, but those who are longtime listeners of this know my rambling is oh, on that. This Carter was grown in, down by the McCallum River, McCallum Glen AVA. Now, did you say that area got flooded? This year? This is, it's, man, yeah, it's been a tough year because we had our record snowpack in the Sierra, which also meant certain areas of California got way more rain than they had in recent memory. And there was an, an historic flood up near Lodi that, that flooded the areas along the river, which would include this vineyard. Uh, and it was underwater until well into April, maybe into May, underwater, not... Seriously. Yeah. Which is normally when these things are flowering. Flowering or, you know, so they couldn't get into prune and so that, you know, there were not just this vineyard, but several vineyards in that AVA saw a lot of loss this year because not only did they have so much time underwater, then you have issues in mildew when things finally Oh, yeah. This year, because it was so wet, actually, in Arizona, there was a big downy mildew problem in some vineyards. So what happened in Arizona for this harvest, from what I've heard so far, uh, is that you had June was record-breaking temperatures or record-tying temperatures across the board. Um, and then you had 20 days straight of rain in Wilcox from our monsoon. And normally you'll have like a week or two or a week, and then there'll be a break a couple of days. So... You'll be able to spray your fungicide and right. that sort of thing. It wasn't able to happen this year. Um, in DA Ranch Vineyard, which is here in the Verde Valley, um, literally almost every other cluster when we were picking to not had downy mildew or the other mildew. The white fuzzy mildew, which I can't remember... I can remember the other name for it, which is Odium, but I can't remember the common name for it. Go figure. Bad for vines, even. Bad for vines, bad for grapes, because they were growing on the grapes, and so we, you couldn't make a good wine from them, so we had to drop literally half the fruit that we had, were going to pick, and it's just like, oh, shit. Um, because we had this constant string of wetness following this. So everything ripened early, and then you couldn't pick it right off the bat because yeah. of the monsoon. So it was, I think, a difficult vintage in Arizona this year, uh, based on what I've heard across the board. But everything also got harvested early. I am only aware of one harvest in Arizona remaining, and that's going to be the late harvest of all Blanc 
at DA Ranch Vineyard, and they do a late harvest almost every year. Um, but yeah, everything was done for like Chateau Tumbleweed by, you know, four weeks ago, which is just like unheard of. And that was because it was so hot in the month of June. Yeah, we got, oh, we got that in August, I think, late August. We got all over the state, but in all of our major wine regions, too, got these insane two-week-long temperature spikes in triple digits. Yeah, you... yeah. How do you like the nose on that? Really bright and floral. <laughs> so this is a blend, I think, mm -hmm. actually. Light it up for you. It is a blend, and it's got another grape in it that's uncommon. Oh, Bacchus! Yes! This is the this first is experience I've had with Bacchus. Which, for the record, is a... Oh, thank you. Great name for a grape. Yes. Yes, it is. So this blend, which is the Nimmo, mm -hmm. yep. by Marcus, wine company, is 69... <laughs> Sorry. Um... 69% Kerner, 11% Gewürztraminer, 10% Riesling, and 10% Bacchus, which is a grape I've never had before. From, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, and hopefully Robin will correct me. Uh, Moklamun? That's the McCullamy. McCullamy Glen Vineyards. And here's a wonderful quote from the winemaker. People like wine are shaped by unique places. My wine journey began in Perth, Australia. Being new in a country, orientation wasn't always easy. The letters N-I-M-M-O are the first letters of each street I had to turn to find my place each night. Thank you to Michael E. Lennard for his partnership with designing my label. Marcus Nigley? Marcus Nigley. Marcus He's Nigley. Swiss. Oh, Nigley. And worked in... Hence the L.I. Was an executive in the travel industry, the... the the, the Swiss government's travel agency, and he, as part of his job, ended up in, in contact with a, a people in the wine market and was exposed to good wines uh, and got very interested in it. So he reached a point where he quit that job and went to basically be a cellar rat in, I believe, Australia was the first place. I know he's been in New yep. Zealand and he's been in Napa, uh, but the Nemo where the, he would ride his bike to the vineyard or to the winery to do work. And he would memorize the first letter of each street that he had to take to get to the to the winery from where he was living in that. So the N-I-M-M-O was his mnemonic device for that, and it's the name of that wine. For the record, native yeast, which is awesome, mm -hmm. there is only one winemaker, two winemakers now, um, that are doing native yeast on their wines in Arizona. And I... Unfortunately, I'm kicking myself now for having drunk and reviewed, because otherwise I would have brought it. Um, uh, Rune Vineyard in Sonoida. Uh, James Callahan is using, uh, at, for his latest vintage, which I think was 2014, 2015, that he's released in the tasting room, everything in that tasting room now is native yeast. And it's interesting because the way he inoculates is he uses the yeast off the white grapes and then uses that to inoculate the reds. Interesting. Um, I don't know why. He may have told me why, but I may have been too drunk to remember. 
Uh, it's actually one of the most hilarious podcasts I've ever done has been the first one I did with him. Because we are both so fucking shit-faced after a barrel tasting <laughs> that it's just like, flum flobble wobble 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 so we both sound like we're Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, so you'll notice there's a decent amount of oak on that. So yeah, 60% new oak fermented. Mm-hmm. Was he fermenting in new French or new American? French. French. Oh, thank God. I should have guessed that from the nose. I don't know why I asked that. That's a stupid question. 200 cases bottled. <clears throat> June 20th, 2014. pH 270, TA 7.63. Oh, residual sugar 2.6. Or 2.12, rather. 13.6 is the alcohol. So, like I said, um, I love this label because it's very reminiscent of Chateau Tumbleweed. Which, as I was telling you earlier, has all the technical data, which I love. And I'm getting a lot of that new oak coming out on the uh, fancy glass, so I'm going to pass this around. I don't think I've passed this around yet. Oh gosh, I need to start drinking water. Yeah, you get really more toastiness. On the nose, using that standard. I wish I knew Bacchus well enough to be able to pick out the characteristics of the nose and palate that are coming from that grape. I do too. Um, I'll send you a link to someone who makes it. If it's not a hundred percent Bacchus, it's it's close to. I am told that Bacchus is actually the most commonly grown wine grape in England. Oh. oh, speaking of Lloyd's Liquors, which is where I've gotten other weird things, they have right now in their ta- in their winery, liquor store, yeah, liquor store, a English sparkling wine. Oh. Now, granted, I have heard that people are doing sparkling Cibola Blancs in England and sparkling Bacchus in England. This is pretty normal. It's a rosé of Pinot Noir, so that's why I didn't acquire it. Just like... Mm-hmm. Wait for hold out for something. I'm going to hold out for something really weird <laughs> before I try something from England. Um, or unless someone's like, here's like five different sparkling Pinot Noirs. And it's like, okay, well, in that case, let's bring in England. But I'm told that Bacchus is the premier sparkling... Sorry, not sparkling. I'm going to have to look for that then because that would be. It's the really premier. Not premier, but the most commonly grown grape in, in England is Bacchus. So I've been told. But yes, I'm along with that oak character in the special glass, I'm getting definitely that. Um, the characters I associate with a lot of German wines. That sort of terpene. The terpene. Um, petrol note that's I have also described as a car peeling out of a driveway. See that pine sound? Oh. Yeah. Even at the smoke with the rubber. Yeah. Yeah, the the rubber. Which is weirdly enough a positive character for those who are perhaps not familiar with uh, 
German wines. Um, it's considered a positive character in Riesling and Mosul. It and sounds awful, but it works. Yeah, it sounds completely awful when I describe it, but when you actually taste it, it's also reminds me of like when people describe Nebbiolo as tar and roses. Yeah. And she's like, tar and roses? How the fuck does that sound good? She's like, just, just try, try. it. <laughs> like, oh, this smells and tastes great. And it's just like, I know, right? So anyway, Kerner is a grape I agree that we need more of in the U.S. And it surprises me, honestly, that there's a lot of places in the Midwest and Northeast that aren't growing Kerner because it is so cold hardy. And you think it would be really well suited to I that. would yeah. be, and yet everyone there is growing Riesling. And first you mean, like, everyone in the Traverse City region in Michigan is growing Riesling. It's like, what the f, f Have you met their cousins, Kerner? Have you met these grapes? Now, granted, there are some interesting grapes that have been developed for these cold regions, courtesy of um, whatever university is up there. University of Michigan? I think it's actually Minnesota. Golden Gophers? Golden Gophers. Uh, that it developed... Um, Cold resistant varietals. Marquette, Marquette, and uh, Marshall Folk. Or Marshall Foch. Marshall Folk University. That they develop these grapes that are supposed to be for cold weather areas, and she's like, "Well, here's Kerner that can survive negative ten degrees Celsius." Marquette's in Wisconsin, yeah. Why aren't you trying this up there? Now that being said, there is a vineyard up in. Well, it's between Williams and Flagstaff, and it's called Wagon Wheel, and I don't know what they're growing there. And no one has been able to give me the contact information for the people that are growing there, which has been very, very frustrating. It's like, well, this part of Arizona is pretty cold. Why aren't you trying to grow Kerner up there? Granted, it is late ripening, which is a problem in Arizona. That's a problem. Um... October is apparently the premier, not premier, the average ripening date for Kerner. Um, it's just like, why aren't you trying to grow this there? Yes, it will be difficult in October. But up there it might be okay. And you might actually be able to make a... Um, not so much an ice wine, but a, a late harvest with it, too. Um, believe it or not, there is one vineyard in Arizona that's growing Vidal Blanc. Um, shockingly, I know. This is just like, what? Uh, and that's, again, the beautiful thing about Arizona, is you're able to grow everything from Vidal Blanc to Mavedra, um, to Nebbiolo, to Tanat, to all these other varietals. Because there is such a variation in climate and elevation and all these other things. Um, Bruzy Vineyard is the name, and Young. And they actually tried for an ice wine a couple of years ago, but... Really? Because it's at 6,000 feet. Okay. So, theoretically, it's possible. 
And the thing is, so they're like, okay, nothing's working, so we're going to harvest this on Thanksgiving Day and cryogenically freeze this using dry ice. And lo and behold, the frost came that night. <laughs> After they picked. And they ruined their meal. And it's just like, well, okay, fine. Um, but as far as I'm aware, they just picked their grapes a week ago. I don't know if they're trying for a nice wine this year or not. Uh, I haven't asked uh, James Bruzy this year. But it's also been, again, a warmer than average year, so there hasn't been a frost yet. It's been a weird wine year. Or a weird growth. It has year. been, and also not to mention that in Bordeaux there was the hail in. Oh, yeah. there well, there was the hail in Burgundy and the frosts that hit both Bordeaux and Burgundy. So 2017. Probably not going to be our most not be a, a memorable year in both anywhere. places. Yeah. Um, it may well not be a memorable year anywhere. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, in Arizona, there are some grapes that seem to be okay. And it's definitely going to be a, vin a vintage that caused a lot of headaches. Headaches. Heartbreak. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. And heartbreak for a lot of people. Yeah. And with that yawn, I suppose I should close. Um, so until next time, guys, whatever that is, have a good night. Cheers. It's cool.